I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome along to the Short Baller Rugby Pass podcast. Scotty Stevenson with you. No Millsy today. He's all fishing. So we've got Simon Porter, CEO of CSM, uh, the largest sports agency in New Zealand, and representatives of a number of our top footy players, Simon, amongst other things. Welcome to the pod, mate. Great to have you here. Thank you. thought we'd get you along today. Seeing Millsy's away, we could actually get serious for a change. Um, and it's that, it's that funny kind of time of the season, especially in this part of the world, where a lot of things are going down. A lot of boys are re-signing. A lot of teams are, are shoring up their squads long term. Uh, and I know that your company especially is right in the thick of that, as are others. So paint us a picture of, of why this time of the year, first of all, is, is a genuinely busy time. Well, I guess that, I mean, you can probably sum it up. We're in a global marketplace. Um, and... As much as we like it or we don't, the people with the biggest cannons are residing in the Northern Hemisphere. They're reaching the business end of their season. Um, their contracts run, it's a little bit different everywhere, but effectively 1 July to 30 June. So we're actually getting to the back end of when they're doing their shoring up and they're looking forward to where they want to be next season. Mm. You know, They've had the domino effect of somebody leaving You know, the Saints to go to Saracens or Clermont to go to Toulon, and so they need to work out what they're doing, the retirements, natural attrition, et cetera, et cetera. So that um, slowly but surely has driven our contracting window as such or when teams have to make their decisions much earlier in the season, which isn't ideal, um, particularly from a team point of view and, and sometimes from a player point of view because they're being asked to make decisions before they can have a real good understanding of where they might stand international selection mm. or where they stand within their team, etc. But we're in a global marketplace and that's just the way the cookie crumbles. So give us a bit of background about you and, and your experience in this line of work. Trained lawyer and uh, I believe, Simon, you, you started out with a with a big firm yeah. and uh, we're looking at ways to maybe uh, share your passion with your career. You're a former rugby player, a representative rugby player for both uh, North Otago here provincially and for counties Monaco. So you, you had an affinity for the game for starters. What drove you to look at at sports uh, lawyering as a career? About 12 bottles of spades with wine <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, when I, I went to university, 
my started university in 96, the first year of Super Rugby. Never before had I ever imagined that or, or, or thought that you could mix your intellectual endeavours or your academic endeavours with your sporting passions. They're always quite separate. And then I kind of, you know, as as I worked through my law degree um, and, and my footy started going okay, um, you know, it kind of came with the realisation, I can't remember, I'll probably throw a prop to the old man. I'm sure my old man planted the seed in my head and so I said, well, one day, mate, you might be able to combine these two, you know, the way it's going with sports law and... And um, and I was lucky enough to be approached by Warren Alcock, um, who is still you know the most active agent in the game nowadays. Um, and he he offered me a gig working for him doing sports law, um, which you know straight out of law school was a pretty cool thing to to walk straight into. And then I'm, I, I hopped around a little bit, went to Belgali for a bit, but worked with Andrew Scott Howman a little bit, who does a lot of the Players Association work um does a lot of work with uh, the fifa stuff as well he's really heavily involved in the football side of things um so i always had a sporting element and then then um just you know you get to talk code for a living mate, so you do. it's not too bad you do it well uh from my experience but the sports agent um i know that still a lot of people have this uh, picture of of the jerry Maguire's bob sugars in their head uh, about what an agent is uh, from my experience dealing with you guys, uh, it's not quite that glitzy and not quite that glamorous, but uh, it's a lot of hard work. Just how tough is it to to represent these athletes, given the, the, the I guess, the Byzantine regulations around sports contracts, player associations, collective bargaining, etc.? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's a lot of detail. It's not, it's not stuff on a whim. Um, you know, there is a lot of regulation to get your head around, whether it be world rugby regulations, whether it be, you know, collective agreements in, in each of the countries or its transfer windows or its eligibility regulations or, it, or its whatever. So there is, a, you know, a lot of, you know, legal or, or, or regulatory stuff that you have to get your head around. Um, but, I, don't, I mean, it's not glamorous, I think, because, I mean, the, the people we're dealing with are just ordinary blokes. I mean, you count a lot of them as friends, Um you know, and when you when you when you get to know these people on such a level, you know, you you kind of get a bit desensitised to the you know the glitz and glamour you see them because you're you're dealing with their everyday problems. They they you know you're very privileged. They welcome you into their world to help them make decisions, and um, you kind of a uh, you know as it's evolved, you become much more of a guidance counsellor than anything else. You know, just helping guys sort their decisions, you know, sort out their minds, get them asking themselves what's important to them, what's important to their family, um, what are they going to regret, what aren't they going to regret, what drives them, what's going to get them out of bed. Um, if they do go overseas, you know, on that snowy, you know, onyx day, what's <laughs> gonna, you know, whereas here there's, there's that one dream that sits like a beacon at the corner of their room that gets them out every day. So, you know, you really do. And, and then when you, you know, we're increasingly um, dealing with younger athletes, which, which, is, is great to start with I was quite sort of skeptical about that but um, seeing the value that you can add or the comfort that you can give them and their family around they are making a good decision um, you are getting much more into okay well what do you want to study you know where, yeah. where, where can you do that what's you know like so it, 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 it's, a, it's evolved a lot even in the sort of 11, 12 years where I've sort of just been doing it full time well we've known each other for the best part of a decade and, and I, I want to pick up on that point because one of the fundamental changes that you've gone through in your career is the age issue. Uh, there was a time where, 
you, you would start picking up professional athletes at about the age of 19, 20. Uh, now we're seeing kids stipended at 15 uh, and sometimes noticed much younger than that. And as an agency, uh, it falls on you guys to make sure that, that you're in the conversation for their representation. I know uh, we've spoken about this at length over the years about how problematic it can be when suddenly you find yourself not at a provincial game but at a schoolboy game and you've got to deal with a whole different kind of athlete and their families and kids who are too young to be signing contracts. So how have you adjusted uh, as an agent, as a manager and as a lawyer to the growing need to be representing athletes at a much younger stage? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we concentrate on rugby union um, and as a general rule, rugby has rugby union, and I'll call it rugby, ha- hasn't really gone too young. You know, well, not, not you know, too, well, it hasn't gone too, you know, they, they haven't started to approach the 14 and the 15-year-olds. It really is the the guys that kind of make the under-18 program who will be either the exceptional year 12s, I think mm-hmm. it's form 6, um, and, the, and the year 13s. And, I mean, my personal view is that it's year 13, anybody who comes through school has to make a decision at that point. Are they going to seek a trade? Are they going to go overseas? Are they going to work? Are they going to go to university? What are they going to study? That is the time that we should be asking these um, young athletes to make their minds up. And that is, the, and generally, rugby respects that. Um, there's been a few instances recently where you know maybe some unions have, or some clubs or provincial unions, etc., have wanted to make a guy make a decision a little bit earlier. But I think, in the main, um, rugby accepts that it's kind of that last year of school is when you should be when you should be trying to make those decisions. Well, we had the issue just recently with a young player who was contracted yep. to the Warriors, who yep. decided, no, I want to play sevens for New Zealand. Um, so, are we going to see? issues like that increasingly in our game or do you think that that's become a bit of a touchstone for the entire business to say look uh, you know maybe we have to have a look at ourselves and our contracting models about um, when these things are appropriate well mate I, I think um, as with anything in this game it's it's about the money right and it's about the the money that you have at your disposal and the the fact is that the rugby league clubs have got untold resources and they can afford to take punts on a whole lot more, a whole a whole larger number of potential athletes than rugby union can simply because they've got more money. Like, I mean, what were the stats out of the under twenty competition in league? It was something like um, three or four on average from the under twenty team actually made it to first grade. To first grade, and yet they've all got very big active under twenty programs. Yep, yep. they're gone now. They've, they've changed that this year. Um, and so there's not going to be as many people contracted in league, but there's going to be the same amount of money for less people. So sure. the problem's going to become even even greater. Whereas Union union does put money into these guys through, you know, Harbour under-16s or Auckland under-16s or the under-14 programme or the under-18 programme or whatever it is, but they just don't have that extra money to say, well, we're actually going to run an academy that sure. goes well down deep and we're going to spend $500,000 on it a year Whereas for league, who salary caps 9.5 million Australian, they get funded 120% of the salary cap through broadcast rights. So that's an extra 2 million to spend on 
Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Yeah. What are you going to spend it on? Shoring up your own so you don't have to pay them so much when you get them to, to change from other clubs. So it's if, if Union can get to the point where you know they've got enough money to be able to do that, well, they'll probably do it. Yeah. And you think about football, which is the worst case over in, well, not the worst case, but where it's the most developed, where they're, you know, 12 year old kids yeah yeah but they've got the money yeah that's right something like 0.01 of a percent of people that go through um academies actually end up as full-time professionals but, or one percent or something. that's right but this, but this is the thing I, I can understand it from an ncaa perspective where you, you've got similar numbers coming out of yeah. college sports especially the big sport football college football making it to the nfl but they're generating enormous revenues in the meantime, it's not about developing players for the professional leagues. It's about a business unto itself. That's very different with rugby union as it currently stands, with rugby league as it currently stands. Yep. Your big show is first grade, is senior level. Yep. Um, so, so is this about keeping players in the game for as long as possible rather than them looking and saying, ah, you know what, uh, I'm just going to go do something else because... You know, so is it about being able to say to the youngsters, there is a pathway here, even if the percentage is low, we're going to give you hope? That's probably romantic. <laughs> Ideally, that's what it is. We're going to give you hope. I mean, I don't know too many, you know, I know a lot of the people and they're all good people, but, you know, they are driven by what's good for their club, you know, just... Which like, is numbers, ultimately. Yeah, Participation it, 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 numbers, right? Yep, that's right. So um, I think, yeah, I mean... I mean, it's important, particularly in union, that we maintain the, 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 the broad base that we have and the participants. And we need the young kids because that's where the fans come from and we need the adolescents to, you know, to, to keep playing the game, be they boys or girls. We need a big base there. So we need to make sure we maintain that balance between a game for all New Zealanders, I think is the catch right. cry, versus a game for very few where if you're not picked up by 13 or 14 or 15 in a professional program, you're done. that's it, you're done. We, we, we have to fiercely protect the, you know, that game for all New Zealanders, I think, because we need that base. That's a really interesting point you raise around, around the youth now in, in our game, but um, also you've been at the forefront of professional contracting uh, as New Zealand players uh, leave for overseas clubs, for an experience in France, for whatever reason. Um, and we've seen a growth in that, and, and we'll stay with the age thing because this has become a real talking point around our game. Are we seeing New Zealand kids going at a much younger age, or is it just... There are so many more opportunities that was always going to be the case. Is it, is, it a, is it a change in the way that kids think about staying in New Zealand or is it just a case of having much many more opportunities now? Um, I think, I mean, I don't really buy into the that we are starting to lose 18, 19, 20-year-olds from our game. It happens occasionally, but I don't personally as somebody that... Well, you would know. You yeah, see at it, At the right? forefront. I, I don't really see it. We definitely lose... You know, union players to league, 15, 16, 17 sort of thing, when they do sign these ag- agreements of development agreements yep. uh, with, with, with league clubs in, in Australia. But in the main, you know, I, I think the average age of the person that went overseas, is some, there's been some research on it, is about 25, you know, r- roughly. So, um, but what undoubtedly, back to your, your, your question, Yes, players are much more aware of 
opportunities overseas, of what rugby's like overseas, of what their values are overseas, or they more inquisitive about it. Now, I reckon the reasons for that, um, the world's got smaller with social media, and um, it's much easier to keep in touch with you know your your five eighth partner who left last year, and he's telling me, "Mate, it's awesome over here. Mm-hmm. It's great. You know, I'm getting this." And the boys are probably a bit more freer about you know letting people know what they get paid, and the media are better at finding it out and all that sort of stuff. Um, but and more guys are realizing that there is you know another world out there, and if they're not in all that contention, that some of them think, "Well, shit, I might as well go get paid." Yeah, um, and they, you can't. You know, can you blame them for that? Well, not really, I don't think. It's just kind of natural. I think the one thing we... One one of the big things that doesn't really ever get talked about, but losing... Well, not losing. Well, we, it was losing. Modern Cup used to be a wonderful thing where guys used to get paid a ridiculous amount of money to do very little amounts of work. We'll, we'll be honest about yeah. it. But it was a way to prop up um, salaries in New Zealand. And so guys that used to be able to earn 80K playing Super Rugby are now having to... Uh, sorry, play NPC, my 10, are now only getting 25, 30. And so if they miss out on Super Rugby, they used to be getting 80 to live in Invercargill or Napier or whatever, and now they're only getting 25, but they know... And so back then, four or 5,000 euros a month from Narbonne wasn't that attractive. Well, now you get to be a full-time professional player... Um, Live in a different part of the world. Yeah, and it's, yeah. or I can earn 30 grand here. You know, like... Nothing wrong with Invercargill, though. No, that's not the no, point no, you're no, making. No, that's not the point. No, you live like a king <laughs> yeah. in Invercargill. That's not the point I'm making at all. I threw Hawks Bay in there as well. Just no, you to, did. Just to balance it out. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I, I guess that's a, it's a strange thing because in many ways, and, and again, you've been at the tip of this, we've seen the money's paid increase in certain ways, certainly for our top players, exponentially. Yep. Uh, and, we, and we always talk about the overseas experience as if it is predicated purely upon a paycheck. And I just I disagree with that. I don't think, and, and New Zealanders are probably a lot more polite than some nations when it comes to uh, uh, researching people's salaries and talking about that sort of issue. Uh, there are some extraordinarily well-paid athletes in our game in this country who don't have to look overseas, who might be offered, as was reported, Bowden Barrett, here's your $3 million a season. I think Bowden Barrett's pretty comfortable in New Zealand. Uh, without having to pack up his life and go. I mean, we can't compete with that as a sport in this country. Uh, and it would be ridiculous to think we could. But there are so many ways, I guess, and, and uh, I'd love you to sort of shine some light on this and how we keep our top talent here when we cannot compete on paycheck alone. Yeah. So, um, one, you know, it's environment um, that, you know, the, the super rugby clubs um, do do wonderful jobs of creating that real, you know, that... You, you, they want it, people want to hang around, they want to play, they create really good environments for the boys. Um, we, we do have world-class coaching, you know, and I don't, I don't think, you know, we, we do have the best coaches in the world, and I think everybody who's out there trying to get New Zealand coaches probably proves that. Um, we, we manage our players pretty well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, I think there's... The problem in New Zealand rugby is, is the haves and the have-nots, kind of, a little bit. And if you're, if you're an all-black, you get managed really well, right? Mm. You, you get a nice big pre uh end of season break um you you don't have to go through the full rigmarole of a, a pre-season you're not expected to start firing until a little bit later you know there are nice rest during the rugby championship etc if you're if you're a, a super rugby player you know good player real add value to your team but you're not quite in that sphere well you got to play all your super rugby games and you're probably playing a lot of minutes yeah you then roll, sh- and if you go deep into the competition, you roll straight into ten games of, well, of my well, ten. George cup. George Bridge is a prime example. Yeah. I mean, he's a good last year. I think played thirty eight games yeah. of rugby. Yeah, you know. So we do talk about how our guys play less, but that's how All Blacks play less than everybody else. Mm. There, there, there's, we're a little bit out of, out of kilter down there. But so we, we do we do compete on environment. That's what keeps people here. Um, Super Rugby, I think is the most fun competition for these guys to play and it's the most you know attacking vibrant you know game of rugby I mean it just looks so cool like, yeah it does like, I'd love to play rugby these days you get there you get to throw it around I'd love to watch you play do, rugby do, do, yeah. <laughs> well, sorry well yeah, yeah. Um, but it would <laughs> I'd, I'd be in the northern hemisphere because I'd still be catching kick but that's right but it looks it looks it looks fun you know you see the smiles on these guys faces they yeah, go they're out having there a good time. and they are having a whale of a time they're expressing you know it's a cliche but they're expressing themselves they're doing all that sort of stuff we're scoring lots of tries we're not just taking penalties not kicking the corners you can have a go from under your own sticks if you want you know like well, and here, here's another point to race because uh, you know you talk about environment a part of that environment is these guys are really passionate about rugby but not every game of rugby is equal not every no. team plays the same style of rugby i think there's a lot of our guys who stay in new zealand because they know they're playing the very best rugby in the world and, uh, and northern hemisphere listeners may, may choose to argue with that that's fine but I think that is the opinion of our guys. And speaking to a lot of them who have experienced French club rugby, yep. uh, English premiership rugby, Heineken Cup or European Cup these days, th- they know that there are some games there that are a grind. Conditions yep. are a grind. The styles are grind. It's a very traditional fixture. They love coming here and playing open, running, attacking yes. footy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, that is what keeps a lot of the guys here. But then when it comes to when they go overseas, I mean, it, it, it could just be a multitude of factors. Mm. It's not always about the money. Sometimes it's just a desire, I've had enough, you know? I just I just want to do something else. I just I just want to go... Or my experience. partner wants to go live somewhere. Yeah, so I've got a young family and this yeah. is my chance. Yeah. yeah. Before they... A lot of it comes in a lot of them. It's before my kids go to school. Right, this is my window to go. Um, I think, yeah. And, I mean, money... You can't hide the fact that money is... You know, normally a very strong. It's a good motivator. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very good motivator, yeah. um, but it's not it's not the only motivator. Um, so but I think, but when guys get up there, like you talk about, yes, we have the most enjoyable rugby to play, and you talk about your Northern Hemisphere listeners. I don't think Super Rugby is the best competition. I think it's the most enjoyable rugby. Mm. But 
you know, I, I have the, the pleasure of getting to watch rugby all around the world and going and watching a premiership game, oh, going wonderful. to watch a top 14 game. Yep. Go, it is such a wonderful match day experience. And that's, yeah. that's where I think New Zealand probably gets a little bit, um, we get a little bit caught up in how good our rugby is and our product. The product for me as a paying spectator, it's the, the occasion. experience. Yeah, the occasion. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And that is the feedback we get all the time. Certainly yeah. you would from your clients, I would from clients of yours who, you know, have yeah. been stationed overseas. They love that experience of, of playing in a Toulouse-Toulon game oh. or, or playing a, a Leicester Saints game uh, or any time anyone beats Saracens. I mean, you know, like these yeah, are... Yeah. These are amazing occasions. And crowds like La Rochelle's got something like 14,500 seats in their stadium. Hmm. Guess how many season tickets they've got? Oh, probably about 15,000. 14,000 season tickets. They could oversubscribe, <laughs> but they need to give 500 to let the community experience rugby. Right. You yeah, know, well, that, like, so that's incredible, every, right? Every, every day knowing that you're going to go and play. It's only you know bespoke stadiums that mm. awesome environments mm. with their songs and their dancing and then... You hang around and you have barbecues afterwards, and they have bands playing, and the players all mill through. And yeah. you're a member. You're a you're a you're a member, and yeah. you get treated as a member. And that's yeah. just where we, that's where our disconnect is. And I know a lot of teams, uh, clubs are aware of it and, and trying really trying hard, really hard. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's the other thing. Just you know, listeners out there who you know sit there and moan about players going overseas, buy a ticket. Come and watch more rugby. Mm. If, if you really want to make a difference, because that is how we get money directly into the game is more bums on seats. But also how you keep the excitement factor yeah. alive for the players. No Absolutely. no player I know likes playing in front of a 1,000 people in an empty stadium. Yeah. It's just that because they don't feel like no. they're in a big league. I, look, I agree with that. Another point I want to touch on, um, you and I have had a fair bit to do with um, women's rugby, certainly over the last five years. Are you... Um, Directly connected through your wife Hannah, who um, both represented New Zealand and now works uh, as part of the management team for the Black Ferns. Um, the growth in the women's game, uh, and we've both championed that. You because you have to, um, otherwise Hannah will kick you out. <laughs> no, no, and because you, and, and because I think we both believe in it. We yeah. both believe in what these women are trying to achieve. Yeah. That the, the professional contract for you is that a turning point for the women's game, or a, a, at least a starting point for where they can take the sport. Oh, it's it's a it's a big step. It's it's a turning point. It's a starting, you know. It, it's the starting point, but there's lots to come. You know, like I don't think my wife will mind. You know, we get home last night. Uh, I get home from work last night. First thing she says to me, oh, Warriors have got a NRL team. You know, like we, we've got to do something. We've got to give these girls a competition to play, and we've got to come yep. up with something just for all those reasons we talked about for the the men and why they stay in New Zealand because it's the best competition, the best coaching. They feel they get better. All that stuff that's you know, you know, that is just beaten into us. That you know, the high performance sort of element. We need to reproduce that, otherwise we're not going anywhere. I agree. Here's the here's the concern. New Zealand has been well known and respected uh, for the respect we've afforded our women in sport over a long period of time. But Australian Rules now is probably the biggest investor in netball clubs in Australia. Yep. That is a growth game, and they've got a professional women's league in Australian Rules football, the NRL. Um, off the back of a sponsor threatening to pull out until they got it sorted. Yep. Uh, rugby Union, exactly the same, trying to sort something in Australia. Has uh, a march been stolen on New Zealand here? Because these sports uh, around the world are going to be populated with New Zealand female athletes. Yep. They are. Yeah, well, they are. Yes, they are. Absolutely. And now, unfortunately, we're in a situation where we've got to be reactionary and not, you know, we're not being proactive. And I don't think 
you know, when you're reactive, you never make the best decisions. You make the decisions that you have to make, don't you? That, that are in front of you, and you, you know, you're not in control. So uh, they, you know, I, I feel, I, you know, New Zealand rugby um, has a lot of competing interests that they have to, you know, they have to look after. But I mean, I wrote an article for the spin-off for last the spin-off, year that's right. with some nice help from someone. Um, <laughs> that, uh, but but at, at the end of the day, I just genuinely think they've got a free pass. They've, they've got a free pass, and if we have to cut money out of another part of the game, we just have to do it. It's it's simply it's the right thing to do. Well, it's just it's the right thing to do. So, do you know what makes financial sense to me? Right, and and I've heard all the arguments and sat there shaking my head at, at pubs and over a beer and at games. Oh, people don't want to watch women's rugby. I, I just call bullshit on that. Uh, you know, I've got a real build it and they will come philosophy. Yep. You're talking about fifty percent of the population. Yep, that's what we're talking about. Why would you not be investing in this and saying, if this is the game for all New Zealanders, then this is what needs to happen? And I know that, that New Zealand rugby will say we're trying, we're just trying to make it work financially. I know we're in a very small market compared to some, and, and we've spoken today on the pod about the, the difference between the, the money power of the North and, and what we have. But if, if across the ditch can do it, we can do it. Yeah, particularly where rugby is where rugby financially is. is uh, That's right. I mean, we're not going to compete with the NRL. We're not going to compete with the AFL, which, you know, the money's just you know, extraordinary. It is. Um, but if if the Australian Rugby Union can do it, then New Zealand can do it. And look, though, to be fair, we do have the Farah Palmer Cup, mm. so we do have a competition. Um, so it's not that there isn't a competition, and there has been for a long time, etc. It's probably just... I mean, there's a reason New Zealand wanted Super Rugby. It's because the window of when they played the men's game didn't suit and it wasn't the most attractive, etc. So you can't flog that dead, dead horse and think it's going to work for the girls. You've actually got to come up with something and, you know, play it in the stadiums at, at better times. Correct. Don't, put, don't say nobody turns up to test matches and put test matches on at 2.30 on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, of course nobody's going to come. Everybody's at work. You wouldn't yeah. play the All Blacks then. You know, like, it's just... It's just thinking through some of those things. Otherwise, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's, there's, and there are some things that can be done that don't cost money just by having a, a, a better awareness and a better understanding and a better look at it to say, well, that's just the right thing to do or it didn't work for, for the men. Mm. Well, how can we expect... What's the definition yeah. of insanity? Or is it yeah, you know, doing, doing the, the same, same thing, thing over and yeah, over yeah. again and expecting a different outcome. That's right. Uh, Simon Porter, CEO of CSM, uh, New Zealand's leading player agency, joining us on the short ball today. And we'll wrap things up pretty soon, Simon. But um, I, I do want to talk about some personal anecdotes uh, in your line of work. Um, it's not always plain sailing. Uh, and there are players who decide to go somewhere and, and don't like it. Yep. And uh, it falls to you to try to... Uh, extract uh, perhaps or, or to transfer that player or to make sure that they're happy. Yep. What, what's been, um, if you can talk about it, and you don't have to name names because I understand you, you, there's probably some legal regulation around that, but, but have you had a, a time in your agency career that has been really extraordinarily challenging for you? Yeah. <laughs> do, do you mean professionally challenging or personally challenging? Well, well, or? I mean both. Because I think it, that it's, it's when guys get in trouble. That's when you. Um, that's when it's the most personally challenging, you know. And when you, you know, you know that the, you know, the guy that you're looking after um, is at heart a really good kid, made a really bad decision, and is you know, fear shitting himself, and is is facing 
you know, career ruin and not be, and that, that's the hardest, you know, that and when you can't get guys jobs, you know, when they're coming to the end of their um, contract um, and, you know, you, you know their wife, you know their kids, you know them and you desperately want something to happen, that's that's when it's really challenging, I think. Um, professionally challenging, getting guys out of contracts is tough, but that's normally because they've got options mm. or because they don't have an option because of just where they're at mentally and then you you know then you're really doing the right thing for them I mean it, it's tough work and they're difficult conversations but I, th- I think rugby should have more difficult conversations I don't you know I think we're a bit tied to some of that stuff and we just need to you know be a bit more honest about that and if a guy's not liking it somewhere or isn't performing well somewhere well you know these careers are pretty short we should all be able to sit down and just go hey it's not actually working let's let's do something about it um but it's when when guys are in trouble and when you can't get guys jobs that's when you you know it literally keeps you up at night it, right. challenging as uh Stephen donald is a is a friend of both of ours and uh i remember speaking of you and, and the personal touch uh was it uh i think we put this in this book actually uh Calling you up and um, making you think that he'd uh, been put in jail in, in yes, Sydney, in uh, Sydney. Tim Nicholson winding you up, yep. and you were you were just about to go jump on a plane to go and get the guy out of jail. No, I'd smelt the rat, <laughs> and I actually knew because I'd rung around and I knew he was playing with me. So then I turned it around and was playing on him. But oh, perfect. If I had to, I would have. But I just I rang Gav, his brother, and we pieced it on Dallin or something like that. And we pieced it all together. And we're like ah. He's just taking the Does mickey. that happen a lot with your clients? Only beaver. Just beaver? Yeah, just beaver. Yeah, and you're still finding them work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst thing of all. That is the worst thing well, of all. Well, the book should have been better and it should have sold more coffees, oh, mate. I didn't hey, even mate. have to. Hey, mate, come on. <laughs> uh, we're, we're pretty much sold out. <laughs> what can I, I do? you are. What I think can you I are. do? Yeah. Jesus, that's tough from you. You set me up on that. <laughs> He's already done a movie. I have to write a book about <laughs> the movie. And the movie was more about you too, by oh, the way. This is the talk Hey, here. hey, you, hey. You, you said you'd be you nice. Wrote, you wrote yourself into that movie no, a lot. Not. I did not. You yeah. lived that though. Uh, you know, I, that is one of surely the most extraordinary times of your professional life. Yep. Uh, Stephen has been a client of yours forever. You played rugby with Stephen, yep. for goodness sake. Um you know, that well, I generally watched him play <laughs> while I was sitting on the, on the bench. bench. Yeah. There was no way he was giving up his jersey <laughs> yeah. for you. Uh, but, you know, I, I remember that World Cup and, and how he came back from that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, has anything ever touched that for you? No, that was... The best bit was walking into the IRB Rugby Awards the next night and uh, bumping into a, a suite of, well, you know, a, a pocket of New Zealand rugby writers. Mm. And um, one of them said to me, oh, you know, Stephen showed a lot of character. You know I me. Mean? Uh, so I got on my soapbox, gave him about <laughs> 10 minutes about <laughs> how much character this bloke had, and that, that was probably the sweetest bit of, of the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was would have been a horrible way to go out, um, but he, you know, he's just got such mental fortitude, and oh, yeah. it was awesome to see. You, who predicted, Cux predicted, Kahui or you? Or I think, yeah, I think we both had the same dream one night that he would, uh, after he didn't get picked, that he would come back come and back. Uh, kick the winning goal. Uh, certainly, uh, our, our, one of our producers at Sky keeps saying that uh, you called that. Um, gee, it'd be the first thing I've called right in my life. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, well, yeah. to be fair to New Zealand Rugby Union, we'd try to get Beaver out early to mm. get him up to Bath, and they just steadfastly refused. They said, no, we need four first fives available in the country. Oh, what a gig. That they, must have been yeah. even worse, right? Yeah. I can't even move on. You've, yeah. you've got me. You've dropped hang, me and you've got to hang in there. Had to go out to the wow. beach and fish and <laughs> get <laughs> he, fat. He enjoyed, he enjoyed that. <laughs> Where to next, uh, Ports, You know, for your business and, and for you personally? I mean, is this 
uh, you know, this obviously has longevity. The professional game's not going anywhere. But, you know, if there was one futuristic prediction you could make for us before we say goodbye to you today, what would it be about what shape this game is going to take in the next few years? Um, well, it's probably... You know, New Zealand rugby is going to come under increasing, you know, an increasing number of challenges to keep up. Um, and right now, I think they do a really good job of keeping, you know, the, the good All Blacks in the country. Um, I think where the the fall off is is that sort of, you know, the guys that are on the bus but not on the pitch and aren't all that happy there. And and, and there's a discrepancy around how they're remunerated to the other guys. So I, mean, I know the NZR. You know, particularly their their contracting team will do everything in their power to be as novel as they can. To um, you know, we've seen the the Quinn sort of stuff. I, you know, no one really knows what that's going to look like or whatever. But they've always been prepared to innovate and be novel in ways to make sure that they keep guys in the game here. Mm. Um, but with the you know the talk of the salary cap, you know, going up through the roof in the UK and the French and. Who knows what rugby's going to happen in Japan? Well, and Japan's an interesting one here. I mean, Japan to me, and you've done a lot of work in Japan, your agency has too. I mean, it's never mentioned in dispatches. I mean, the money pouring through that club system is insane. Yeah, their their salary cap hasn't really marched on. So, um, But they've been able to increase the number of foreigners. Well, that's had the biggest impact this year in in their uncapped players. Mm. So everyone thought this five-year rule would have the opposite effect. But for some reason in Japan, it's... It's meant that there's an even bigger demand for uncapped sure. players. Um, so it's just it's just it's going to be constant challenge. The power is entrenched up in the north. Who knows what's going to happen with Super Rugby and the broadcast deal next time round? Um, you know, we've seen some news today about the Rugby World Cup and, um, and and who's going to be broadcasting that in New Zealand. You know, there's all these sort of really key pivotal pivotal mm. moments coming up where. Um, Things could be really good, or it could just add to the, you know, add, add to the issues that New Zealand rugby are, you know, really admirably trying to to face. Keep you busy too, Simon Porter, CEO of CSM. Thanks for joining us thanks, on mate. the Shortball today, mate. Great to get your insights into the game. That'll do us for another week. Make sure you enjoy all the action this weekend on RugbyPass.com. Super Rugby full round, full round. Looking forward to it. Chiefs Highlanders, my game of the week. Surely it's yours too, Ports. Of course. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.